Hi there, my name is Mary Kilolea. Welcome to the To Be Boulder podcast, providing career insights for the next generation of women in business and tech. To Be Boulder was created out of my love for technology and marketing, my desire to bring together like-minded women, and my hope to be a great role model and source of inspiration for my two girls and other young women like you. Encouraging you guys to show up and to be bolder and to know that anything you guys dream of, it's totally possible. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Today's topic is so relevant for all of us. Thanks for tuning in. We're thinking about our careers, where we are today, and what we really want from our careers. Leah Garvin is the author of Unstuck, Reframe Your Thinking to Free Yourself from the Patterns and People that Hold You Back. Leaning into nearly 10 years of her experience working in some of the largest and most influential companies in tech, including Microsoft, Apple, and Google, she explores the power of reframing to overcome common challenges found in the modern workplace. Leah has been a TEDx speaker and is also going to present at the South by Southwest Conference later this year. She's an operational leader, speaker, and coach. Leah is on a mission to humanize the workplace Through her writing, leadership coaching, and savvy program management skills, she brings an authentic and irreverent sense of humor to teams to help them examine the challenges holding them back and focus on what matters. Leah, I am so delighted that you are here today. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your career insights. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Frustrated, burned out, stuck. There has been a huge awakening by employees, specifically women, related to this conversation in the last couple of years. I'm interested on your take um, and and what proposed you know what propelled you to write the book. Yeah, um, I, I think first, obviously, feeling all these things already yeah. myself, um, but then talking with a lot of other women across coaching, I was doing mentoring, even colleagues around um, people feeling stuck in their in their careers, whether it was getting that promotion, that raise, that next opportunity, and I was finding no matter how well we were doing in our jobs how high of performers we were or good of relationships we had with our managers, we were still running into the same challenges. Mm-hmm. And so I started kind of mapping out what were the different areas that, that people were getting stuck. And I looked at feedback, talking about our work, decision-making, and, and these different themes started to emerge. And, um, but there was a couple things when things were going right, like what, what, what were the, what were the things that were working? And I started, it, it sort of centered around a common theme of reframing. Um, and when we were able to look at a challenge through a new perspective, we were able to see, hey, wait a second, there's actually new possibilities here uh, that I didn't realize. And, and so I think as more and more women in, in the last few years, especially as you say during the pandemic, mm-hmm. have been feeling stuck, I think there's been a real desire to find something new and to make a big change. And it's been really inspiring to see Um, you know, as part of the great resignation, which uh, disproportionately impacted women for many reasons around caretaking and the responsibilities, there's also been another reckoning with doing work that wasn't fulfilling and doing (laughs) and being treated in a way that wasn't working for you and, and not having the flexibility and feeling like um, you were constantly at odds between these different expectations. So I feel like it was kind of the culmination of all these things. Perfect timing, perfect timing. And, and it's such a hot topic. And I do agree. I think, you know, the last couple of years has been such a reflective year and people just, you know, are ready for something like this. What advice do you have for women who feel that their work, uh, you know, they, they're working their asses off basically. 
um, yet second guess themselves, stress over all the details and, you know, watch other people get ahead? I think the first thing I would say is to recognize when we're having these comparative thoughts and Mm. to stop and to say, what do I want for me? And what's important to me? And and what, when I talk in my book, I have a chapter on comparison. And I remember, um, you know, between social media and all the other things, we're constantly always looking like, hey, why does this person have that? This person's traveling, this person has a house, this person has that I want. And I think we get stuck in this cycle and we forget to even ask ourselves, what even do I want? Like, do I actually want this? And so I think when we're looking at colleagues or or people around us, we're thinking sort of thinking without thinking, oh, I want that to stop and say, okay, what do I really want? Um, and, and when we ask, it's a simple question. When we ask that, we can say, okay, let's say it's a colleague that just got promoted. Um, I would say, what do I really want? Do I want that promotion? Do I want a title? Do I want more respect? Do I want more visibility in my work? Do I want to feel appreciated? And when we find the reason, we see that there's actually multiple paths to getting that thing. And I think when we attach to just one thing without thinking about the why, we can get fixated on something that we chase after and we get it and we're like, oh, that didn't really, <laughs> that didn't really make me feel better. That is so, so true. And even giving it the name of a comparative thought, you know, stops you in your tracks. So I love that. I love that. Um, In your book, you talk about um, including some confidence exercises. What are some of those that we can talk about and share here today? (laughs) Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, along with knowing what we want, really getting in touch with what are our strengths and superpowers. And Mm. I mean, one of the exercises I share in the book is to write down what are, let's say, our top five strengths, things that people have told us we're great at, or things we've been um, recognized for, or things that we really want to celebrate about ourselves, to, to write those down and just acknowledge, like, I have these things I can bring not only to my role right here, but to any situation. And if you think about, you know, approaching something like a job interview, when we when we approach that by thinking, I have to convince this person, or I have to just like make sure they think I'm good enough for this job or what are they going to ask me? And we get nervous about that. We're forgetting what we want to bring forward. And I think when we tap into these strengths and superpowers and we know them, we can, we can have more confidence approaching conversations like that because our mindset is then, okay, I really want to make sure these key things land. And now I know how to connect the dots between, you know, my great communication skills or dot connecting skills or whatever. Um, and I know what I'm bringing forward instead of feeling like, oh gosh, what if they asked me this? I might say, ooh, whatever kind of example comes up, I want to make sure this is the takeaway. And we feel more in control and therefore we can bring more confidence to those kinds of situations. When you wrote the book and designed, you know, the different topics, did you have your younger self in mind? I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and my younger self shows up in many of the stories of what went wrong. <laughs> And, and where I felt so frustrated. I mean, I, I share a story about one of my first negotiations that I didn't even know was a negotiation mm-hmm. or didn't realize. And I agreed to something and it was shortly after, maybe even a year or two after. So quite, I would say a while after <laughs> I actually realized by talking to a colleague that I kind of got screwed. Uh-huh. And then I felt so embarrassed and like, well, why didn't I know that? Why wasn't I prepared? And, and yeah, I think for all of our, you know, if, if we could do it all over again, a lot of times, um, 
it would be to, you know, slow down, I think is something we'd say and think about, think about it more and think about, well, what else do I want to do to be prepared for situation? Do you have a favorite chapter um, in the book? Right now, my favorite, as I've been thinking about it, is is impact and, and reframing how we talk about our work. Mm-hmm. Um, I this is something I've struggled a lot with, both in you know really connecting the dots between what I do and why it matters for my organization, mm-hmm. in the language I use, getting rid of things like just and yes. we, <laughs> you know, yes. Like oh my gosh, I'm so guilty of we. <laughs> exactly right, like you and your clone army are out here. <laughs> solving all the world's problems. So that one's one of my favorites. And also because I coach a lot of women in tech around how to um, prepare for things like writing up a performance review, you know, self-review or talking about um, how to go into a conversation on feedback, how to have ask for a promotion or raise. And a lot of times people completely undersell themselves and it's like, Oh, I just did this thing. It's no big deal. And I'm like, Hey, Tell me what you do, what your job is, is if you're telling your best friend, your mom, someone that is so excited about your work, how would you describe it then? And typically, you know, I'm floored by what they say, all the wonderful things, the way they describe their work when they're not censoring it. So that's actually another confidence building tool I talk about is explain your work in an unfiltered way and then see, do I really need to filter this? Because we usually don't. We think you're writing the resume, you're writing the job description or whatever in a we get stuck on wordsmithing and is this phrasing right? And we forget actually what's the story I want to land. And, and so talking about your work is, is one of my favorites. I love it. I can't wait for the book. Are you going to do an audio version? Yeah, I am going to. It'll be shortly after the book. Okay, fabulous. Let's go into your journey in tech and lessons that you've learned along the way. Um, just to talk about some of the roles that you've had. Yeah. So I am a non-engineer working in tech. And I'd say that's the that's been the biggest thing for me to work through is the imposter experience around should I have started my career earlier? Should I have gone into computer science? No one thinks I know anything. What am I adding here? And it took me a long time to really build, build confidence and, and own that, hey, my expertise is around people and teams and ensuring people feel like they're set up for success and inclusion. I don't have to be an engineer. That's that person's strength. And we complement each other. And I think this has been a lesson I've had to learn over and over in the variety of companies I've been working at and not feeling apologetic or, or overly trying to compensate, but saying, hey, these things go together. I'm going to really focus on this area learning enough to get around, I would say the yeah. space I'm working in, but, but instead of approaching it at like, Oh, I should know more, sorry. Or mm. I just am this saying, I own this expertise. I am really happy. I can bring this thing and you bring yours and together let's figure out who else we need to bring in the equation. Um, that that's been one of the biggest things that of the arc of my career, I think I finally am in a place where I'm no longer apologizing for the, for, um, not being, technical. And I think even that phrasing is problematic. Like mm-hmm. I actually have really technical skills around team eff- effectiveness. And, and it's, you know, there's saying, you know, I'm, I'm not an engineer maybe is the right way to say it as opposed to sort of the not the, the deficiency lens. I think that's so brilliant. And, and I hope people listening, you know, there are people who are pivoting and, and yeah. You know, there's such great opportunities in tech, but I think there's a lot of women who share that feeling of I'm not technical enough. 
to add value. So um, that that's wonderful. Um, okay, so you have an upcoming TED Talk. What are you most excited about? I mean, I'm nervous for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I, so the TED Talk was in January. It's coming out in a few weeks. So oh, okay. So you've yeah. already done it. So I did the TED Talk. Yes. And oh, that was, was it? it was, I would say this is as a recovering fear of public speaking person. <laughs> like it was the ultimate, like jumping out of an airplane <sighs> sort of situation. Um I, it was incredible. I mean, I, I had wanted to do, um, a talk for a while. I had been working on my idea for a while and to, um, just, you know, face my fears and, and I would say reframe my fear on public speaking and, you know, what if people don't like it? What if I mess up all this stuff to, Hey, I'm, I'm here to share an idea to, to help people, you know, my talk is around reframing decision-making. So help people with overthinking decision-making. This is a, a thing many of us struggle with, probably most of us in some sense when it comes to some decisions and, and by reframing it away, it's not about, you know, me. And, and if I stumble over a word, nobody cares. It was amazing. And um, I'm so excited for it to be coming out and, and sharing it with the world. Congratulations. Uh, I, I look forward <laughs> to that. Um, why are you so driven to support women in tech? and diversity? You know, as a, I would say as a woman in tech, you know, I've seen how hard it is, how isolating can be, how um, few, you know, women there are in in, in senior roles. And and oftentimes, you know, it's only, you know, we're one of few or the only woman in the meetings and teams we're in. And, and that can sort of constantly be creating a feeling of being, you know, othered or excluded. And I think, for people in other underrepresented backgrounds, whether it's race or age or, or disability. And, you know, it, it can, there can be even intersectional elements, right? You're one or more of those qualities. And so I think I have had a like lifelong sort of, I would say passion, like it was like, I was compelled to make sure people felt included. And I think it's interesting that it started with working in design, really making sure design had a seat at the table, but, mm-hmm. but the way in which it was about teams and why seeing people not being included in decision-making and saying, Hey, like this doesn't work. And, and I, I, I feel proud that I've been able to get this more into the conversation and to um, help people understand that you know, inclusion is, is something it's not a tax. It doesn't slow things down. It doesn't, you know, take, take more time. It's not something, you know, Oh, if, if only we could not do that, that it's about how do we make every, like things are better because of it. We all win. Everybody wins when, when it's a focus and I think more and more um, it's well understood things like psychological safety, right. It leads to better business outcomes. It makes sure, you know, inclusion and belonging ensures people stay in companies and the cost of turnover is really high. Right. right? I think, you know, it makes sure people are engaged in the work, higher quality work. So I think you can really more than ever attach, you know, if people need the business outcomes to prove it, that there, (laughs) you can attach that to it, but it's something that I, it's not my core day job anymore to work on. And I just, I weave it into everything that I do Mm -hmm. because I feel like, you know, working on team operations, if people aren't included, they will not work effectively together because they're not, their voices and perspectives aren't being heard. Like there's something missed. So yeah. my real goal is to incorporate, 
inclusion as just the way we do work, how we approach anything. Who in your life has been the biggest inspiration? I've been lucky to have a lot of really fantastic mentors and and colleagues and managers along the way. Um, I would say primarily women in the, in the different roles that I've been in that um, really, you know, either took me under their wing or, or helped me. One of them was the woman that told me I was getting screwed with my my (laughs) first salary. Um, But, but that just, showed me that there was a place for me and, um, and with someone I could, I could be myself around and, and ask, you know, share, share how I felt or ask, ask for support and, and, um, really celebrated the, 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 what I was bringing to the table. I think, um, you know, I, as a person that sort of, like I described, I'm going to have an overactive spidey sense, like kind of a heightened radar for sort of things that are going awry. It's, it's great as a program and operations manager, but it's also sort of a curse because it can, you can, you can come across as alarmist or you have problems with everything. And so there's a double standard, obviously with women and sort of a perception of having thinking, you know, it could be looked at as complaining or whatever, like there's all this stuff baggage there. Mm-hmm. And, um, people that celebrated that radar, that, that it was a thing that I shouldn't just ignore. And I think that was the biggest, I would say transformation in, in celebrating this thing of this is something that, um, isn't, you know, being aware of, of what's going on is something that I can use to help people. And, and, you know, it's not something I should sort of, yeah, toss out. Uh, Let's talk about your coaching. Yeah. Tell us about it. So I coach individuals and um, visual individuals, teams, and I also do um, workshops with with teams as well. And um, typically we work through things with individuals, career transitions, often how to um, navigate some change that's going on in folks' life, um, how to work on things like imposter experience. Um, so all sorts of issues that that sort of show up, I think, for, for all of us in the workplace. Um, in groups, I like to work with effective team dynamics and helping people, you know, sort of figure out how to build things like psychological safety so that, um, people can share and can flag risk like we talked about without feeling like they're being judged or someone's thinking that they're, you know, (laughs) something, um, so to build that safety. And then I work through teams on often, what are some norms that we can create around some of these issues? So communication norms, I think in the in, in this sort of move to hybrid work, there's a lot of opportunity to set norms around meetings, decision-making, things like that. Um, wonderful. Let's, let's go back to your book. Cause I really want to touch on fear and confidence. Will you share your, your, your thoughts from your book on that? Yes. Um, so this is a fun one, I think, because confidence is something, again, I think all of us struggle with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a couple of reasons we get stuck. One and, and maybe one of the main ones is is perfectionism and the feeling that, well, because of all these pressures and there aren't a lot of opportunities, if I don't have it completely perfect, I might blow it and I'm a failure. And so like it also ties in the fear of failure. Um, but fear is a word that I mentioned a few times. And so I think um, there's a few things with with confidence that have really helped me reframe. And first comes from the book, The Confidence Gap, which is a fantastic book around um, strategies around connecting, you know, to your values and different things that I also talk about the book. And it's, it's a reminder that confident actions have to come before confident thoughts. 
And when you hear that, it's like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> like I'm not always gonna. If I waited until I was ready, I wouldn't. I would never do anything. And yeah. and just that reminder is like is such an aha that okay. So I'm not gonna ever feel ready. So like I gotta go for it anyway. And that's where I was at with the TEDx talk, right? Like okay, I practice it enough. I'm never going to be like, yes, put me on that stage. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so I was just going to have to do it. And, and sure enough, when I was up there, I was like, okay, like I got this, I can do this. And, but if I had said, no, I'm not going to try it until I'm ready. I might yeah. never have been ready, but now that I did it, I actually have the confidence to like, maybe do it again one day. Um, but a strategy that I had thought through around fear um, was that that old game when we play out, what's the worst that could happen? And oftentimes if we think what's the worst that could happen, we spiral into all these ridiculous hypothetical situations that we would never, wouldn't happen. So like, what if I, um, give an update in in the status meeting and my senior director's there and he makes me nervous and then, um, and then I blow it. And then he tells his boss and she says I should be fired. And then I get fired <laughs> and then I move back with my parents and then they turn my room into a gym and I'm like sleeping in the basement and I'm like a loser. Spiral. Right. Spiral, spiral. And it's like, the question I have for, for us is like, would you let all of those things happen and never ever course correct at any turn? It would just be like, yeah, bring it on next, next disaster. No. And so my reframe is when we start spiraling to say, and then what to ourselves and then the course correcting step. So like, let's say, okay, let's say I give that status report and and I totally blow it in front of my boss. And then what? Well, then I would probably follow up with my boss and say, Hey, um, I didn't get the message across. Right. I'd love to, you know, talk through it again. Okay. And let's say, you know, and then you're like, you're already on another path where like, it doesn't work that same way. And then yeah. we say, okay. And then what? Well, then my boss says, oh, thank you. I appreciate that you did that. And then I have the opportunity to fix it. It's like, right. we usually can't get very far because it doesn't spiral when we start course correcting. And I think it's something we can do with many of our fears and many of our overthinking kinds of sort of spirals, because they're typically as if, we're on autopilot and we can't course correct in any way. So that's something I've worked through to, um, to sort of quiet some of the fears and build more confidence around, okay, if this happens, then I have a plan and then I'll just do those things and I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I love it. Um, tell me about the writing process. Um, what did you learn from the writing? One thing I learned from the writing, um, that actually made me think a lot about my relationship with feedback was, Um, so when I was in the editing process, I had the great fortune to work with an amazing editor that loved the, loved the idea, loved the tone I was trying to get across and, and was such a great partner. And she, and when she'd give me feedback, never before my life, did I not get embarrassed or feel like, Oh God, why did I write that? Or, you know, she must've thought, I don't, I think there was a couple of things that I had felt I was so like excited to be able to get these ideas out in the world to help people reframe, to help people feel like not stuck around these same topics. And I knew that that was the whole goal of her writing. So she could have written like WTF, this makes no sense. And I would have been like, yeah, let's get rid of it. Let's fix it. And it was, it showed me that I think a lot of times at work with feedback, we 
immediately personalize and say, it means I'm a loser. It means I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And if we actually stop and say like, this is about the work and we look at it external to ourselves, we can do the same thing that I somehow found (laughs) with this book, which was like, you can get feedback about the work, work through it and have it never sort of touch, you know, go into the zone of who you are as a person. Yeah. And and it was eye-opening with with feedback for me because it's been something I've really struggled on of not personalizing or not feeling embarrassed yeah. that someone noticed something that I messed up on. Why do you think women at work have a problem asking for help? There's a big fear around, you know, being the, the imposter thing, like being exposed as not knowing enough or not being good enough or being weak or um, you shouldn't really be here. And I think, you know, there's a lot of need, especially again, for um, women with intersectional identities, be it race and gender, age, right? Um, where where we have to feel like we have to make it seem like nothing phases. We got this, we can handle all of it. And then it causes a lot of times us to take even more and more on. And I recently read an article about women in the pandemic that, um, don't have children and how there, there was felt like pressure of, you know, women with children are going through a whole other situation with caretaking, but women without children felt like they didn't have an excuse to turn off the computer that they had to work around the clock. And there was a sort of struggle that wasn't really getting a lot of focus of women sort of saying, yeah, I can do everything because you know, I, I can't say no, I don't have, I'm not going through what they're going through. And so I think, you know, whether you have kids or not, we're all going through this thing of, I can't ask for help because someone might think I can't cut it. And then I won't get that opportunity. And, um, it's, you know, there's like a horrible, horrible problem with burnout increasing, you know, every moment. And I think that's the result of this, that, um, we don't, we're not really afforded the ability to stop and ask, even if our team says that's fine, our management chain, maybe we don't trust it or we're worried. And so um, it becomes really a cycle that's hard to break. What advice do you have for women um, in setting boundaries? Yeah. One, one thing I talk about in the book around um, I think so the chapter about accountability is, you know, sometimes we don't set boundaries because we actually want to do the thing. It's just not, you know, we we then just take too much on like, well, I wanted to, you know, work on this project or take on this opportunity to do this thing, but we've said yes to too many things that it's not possible. I think one, one strategy I have there is we can say yes and still negotiate the terms. Mm -hmm. So if someone asks me to lead a project and I think, yeah, this is something I want to do. I can say, yes, I'd love to lead that project. I have X, Y, Z going on this month. So I can start that next month and, and feeling okay saying, and this is a confidence piece again, feeling okay saying yes. And right. Mm -hmm. We, I think it's not an either, or it's rarely, you don't have to say yes and get it all done in this moment. Mm -hmm. And by setting the terms and saying we can still have a little bit of the best of both worlds. And I think then if we say yes, and I can do it this time, if someone says, you know, you know, I really need it to get done, you know, next week we can say, well, here's, here's what I have on my plate. Let's talk about what we can, you know, negotiate between the stuff going on. Why is it so hard? Why do you think it's so hard for us as women to ask 
for money or even to share what we make with other with each other yeah i i think a lot of us have heard messages around you know put your just put your head on down and do the work good work mm-hmm. gets noticed you know don't ask for too much don't rock the boat and then when it comes to advocating ourselves maybe we don't have a lot of practice doing it or we don't you know we we don't feel comfortable saying out loud what we need i think there's a lot of you know research that said women have a much easier time advocating on behalf of someone else than for mm-hmm. ourselves mm-hmm. and um but the cost of that like you said is is often just getting paid less, getting a worse deal. And so um, one, one thing I try to remember with negotiating is if we're in a negotiation phase, we already got the job. Like we already did the hard part. Mm-hmm. And so to, you know, to, to stop, recognize again, like look around and say, hey, wh- where are we at? Like I already did the hard part. I already did the thing. This is not about convincing them. I might like lose the thing at the last minute. No, this is about, finding a mutually agreeable outcome for something that I already like kicked ass at already. Like I already landed the thing. And, and again, I think this is around recognizing the evidence that is there and which is that you already did the hard part. You're already at the last stage, this, this company, this thing, whatever it is already wants you. And to, I think recognizing those things starts to quiet the negative voices we have around, um, around advocating for ourselves. Um, and, and, and then I think if we still have a lack of confidence around advocating for ourselves, you know, one, one thing I think we always should be doing is to just be as prepared as we can be mm-hmm. doing the research, not just, not just, you know, g- going on the internet and looking at, you know, what are competitive salaries or whatever, but having conversation with people mm-hmm. in similar roles, like you said, talking about money, I think that's really difficult to do. And we can feel uncomfortable because of whatever reason around, relationship with money, but, um, but, you know, stress testing some scenarios, finding someone that you feel comfortable talking to about it, hear yourself say, you know, I want X, Y, Z, like listen to it, get the muscle memory going. Cause if we've never said it out loud, it can feel uncomfortable. Like even just hearing it the first time. Yeah. What, what type of approach or advice do you have for women and building a career strategy? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, um, I think first knowing that you may not have it all figured out and that's okay. I think, um, I mentor a lot of women early in their careers and think they're already thinking, Oh, I got to have it all figured out. Like what's my plan? What's everything. And there's a little, there, there's quite a significant degree of flexibility. I think we need to have in order to find the thing that we're great at. Like we may not know it right out of school or after even five years. And so I think a career strategy needs to be fluid enough to accommodate it being okay and us not feeling locked in if something doesn't work out. Because I think we can feel like after not even long that there's a sunk cost, like I've already invested all this time. But I think when we're when we're starting out to recognize all the time we still do have to figure things out. Um, and then along with that, I would say really, you know, trying to think about, but again, with flexibility and fluidity, the kinds of environments that, that you want to be in that you thrive in. And sometimes there's reasons we can't have that thing because there's other sort of values that are higher up on the list. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's, 
you know, let's say flexibility is a value you have, but leadership is too. And you have an opportunity that's not flexible that like allows you to do that. So then that value sort of sits higher, but we do want to have a sense of what are our general values? Because Mm -hmm. then we can go after opportunities that honor at least some of those. So I think that's necessary for any sort of career strategy. Um, You set some really big stretch goals, you know, writing a book, doing a TEDx. What's your secret to setting stretch goals and, and why do you do it? I love that question because I absolutely are right. I love setting stretch goals and I, um, a stretch goal for me gives me a North star to keep, to keep working towards. And it's something that I can be excited about. And I think a lot of women right now are thinking about doing side hustles or building mm-hmm. something outside, something that's just for them. And yeah. And I think that's another thing that can prevent burnout. Like, ironically, I mean, people ask like, how do I do a full-time job, toddler, and this other stuff? It's because all other stuff fuels me, gives me energy. And I think, um, yeah, like finding something that's for you is is so important. And it can can actually help with all these other areas because it gives you confidence and it brings you joy and it satisfies those other values. Yeah, that, you nailed that. That's what this podcast is for me. Um, yeah. Do you have uh, any tips or let's just n- go with three tips um, for women on networking? Yes, do, doing it first. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think um, you know, there's a lot of research that that women can feel uncomfortable or like, I don't know, networking feels like forest and cheesy. I personally, if I'm at like a networking event, um you know, without a glass of wine, I can be pretty quiet. And you can tell I'm not that quiet. Um, I think first is, is finding what is the way in which networking works for you and then doing it. And so first tip will be just make, getting yourself to do it. Second tip is lowering the stakes. So Mm. I've changed roles during, um, during working remotely. So I didn't have the office cafeteria or water cooler or whatever to meet people. Mm -hmm. And when I would be in a meeting and hear someone share something interesting or someone that I wanted to connect with, I would send them a note after and say, Hey, I love that idea you shared. I, I, you know, do you have 15 minutes to have a coffee chat? And I would be proactive and I would actually make the effort to build relationships. And I think too, that's something that we can get in our way of saying, Oh, that person's busy. They don't want to hear from me, whatever, not to decide for them that they're busy, you know, yeah. and maybe some people will say, oh, I don't have time, but that also, you know, it's like you haven't invested a lot. So that's my second tip would be to, you know, set small, um, you know, just put yourself out there in small ways. And then the third would be to maintain relationships over time. Like we never know if the person we worked with in a job when we were 22 is going to be someone we want to, um, connect with later that we could help that could help us doesn't doesn't matter right and so you know if there's people that you really connected with in roles keep in touch yeah send them a hello every six months or so and just keep those connections warm because we really never know where folks are going to end up what would you tell your 20 year old self (laughs) i would tell my 20 year old self to um that there's time to figure it out that you know it doesn't have to all happen overnight Love it. And what does to be bolder mean to you? To get out there, to put your ideas into the world, to not decide for other people that, oh, nobody wants this, or I don't want my next, right? All that stuff. 
to like say, no, I'm not going to listen to that stuff. And to, to just put it out there and to, um, yeah, to go for it, because I, I promise you there are, we are so much more connected than we realize we are rarely going through something. Nobody else is probably never right. Somebody yeah. out there is going to connect with it. And the more we share, the more connection we build, the more we can support each other. So to go for it. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough. Um, how can someone get in touch with you to learn more? Yeah, check out my website at leahgarvin.com. That's where you can learn about my coaching and workshops, um, speaking opportunities. Um, also check out my Instagram at leah.garvin. I have a YouTube channel, Reframe with Leah, where I share a lot of these ideas in smaller chunks um, or reach out on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to the episode today. It was really fun chatting with my guest. If you liked our show, please like it and share it with your friends. If you want to learn what we're up to, please go check out our website at 2bbolder.com. That's the number two, little b, boulder.com.